All right. If you got your Bibles, I would like to invite you to open them up to Jeremiah chapter 17. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to be looking here uh, at a picture of God's Word that is something that I had never seen before. In Jeremiah 17, we're going to be looking at these pictures of the heart. Um, and this is important uh, because when we pray those dangerous prayers that we just went through, one of them is search me, O God. And sometimes God will show us our heart. And sometimes it's things that we may not like to see. And there's, some, there's a couple of different, there's four things in these scriptures that show us what type of heart we have towards God. So um, that's just the, the foundation. I'm going to get a little bit deeper into it here in just a second. But let's read Jeremiah chapter um, did I say 17? Okay, I have, it, I have it incorrect on my slide. I think it says 7, but it's supposed to be 17. So, it does? No, on the, on the, when it starts coming up on the thing, I think it's going to say 7. So, please forgive me for my typographical error there. So, starting in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1. It says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their asherim beside every green tree on the high hills. On the mountains in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I have given you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land where you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness and in uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Who trusts, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, Search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood and she did not hatch. So is he who gets riches, but not by justice in the midst of his days. They will leave him and at his end, he will be a fool. So let's pray. And then I'm going to lay a little bit more of a foundation here so you can understand. So Father God, we just once again humbly approach you, Lord, and your word. Lord, we thank you that your word, Lord, is true. It is good, regardless what we think, regardless what we think we know. Lord God, your word is above all, Lord. And so, Lord, we just humbly come to your word today, Lord, and we say, Lord God, that we cannot see anything unless you reveal it. And so we ask you humbly, Lord, today to reveal to us your heart from your word today. Lord, use your word, Lord God, to grow us, to change us, to mold us. Lord, we're the clay. 
And we humbly yield, Lord, to your hand to shape us, Lord, at the way that you see fit. Lord, open our eyes as we yield our hearts. Lord, give us understanding, Lord God, and show us. Show us as you intended it to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question here in this is, how is your heart? And the reason, well, let me back up a little bit. In the 1930s, people often ask, you know, that was the Depression, time of the Depression. None of us here, I don't think, were alive during that time. Okay, we got a few. Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. We do have a few. <laughs> My dad was alive during that time, um, and, and he told me how rough it was. And a lot of times people would ask, how's your back? And the reason they would ask, how's your back, because you worked pretty hard in those days. Um, it was common. It wasn't, it wasn't some crazy thing for somebody to come up to you and say, how's your back? Because that's how hard they work. So, um, but in today's times, we, we live in a time where... Uh, I would say work has gotten a lot easier because of computers. A lot of things are automated. Um, a lot of things have replaced manual labor. And a lot of it has caused us to get lazy. And so the question today, I think, should be more of how's your heart? Um, and not necessarily physically, but spiritually especially. So um, a lot of time, you know, if we think in the physical sense, thank God for bacon. I love it. But it can also give us a bad heart if we eat too much of it. So today's question is, how's your heart? But it's in reference to spiritual heart, your heart with, with God. And I'm going to start off with a quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, if I look at the world, I will conform to the ways of the world. But if I look at the word, I will conform to the will of God. And A.W. Tozer is a great man of God. If you've never studied him, Study him. He, he's a great man of God. And this statement is so true. What we, and the reason why here is because Jesus said that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so this whole thing, this whole message today is about our heart. And some of the things, here's the why behind this. The things we associate with heart in our culture, we may forget that we tend to think of, I love you with all my heart. That cheeseburger or taco just blessed my heart. You know I had to incorporate food in this somehow. Did you see that? Whatever it is, it just, I loved it. It touched my heart. So with these things, with the, with the way that we use the word heart in our culture, it tends to set our focus that the heart is just some emotional, strong feeling. But that's not what heart is when it came to the way that the Hebrews associated heart. If you, and actually, if you look in the Greek, the word heart, cardia, where we get the word cardio, which if you have a bad heart, you go to see a cardiologist, right? So there's the root of the word. But in the Hebrew, here's what heart meant to them. It was the fountain and seat of all human thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors, as well as the personality and inner life and character of an individual. That's what we're going to focus on. <clears throat> That's what, when we say, how's your heart? This is what we're going to focus on. The fountain seat of all your human thoughts. This is the basis, the core of who you are, where all of your decisions come from, the perspective that you have on life, the way you think, the way you make your decisions. It's all based on this right here. 
the fountain seat of all human thoughts. And when we talk about, you know, because in our culture today we say, oh, give your heart to Jesus. This is what we're talking about, the core of who you are. So today I hope that we get a deeper understanding of what it means in God's eyes when we pray that dangerous prayer, search our hearts, oh God. This is what we're talking about. Search the, the, the inner thoughts, the passions, the desires, the inner things, the reasons why we make the decisions that we make. This is what we're saying to God when we say, search our hearts, or I give my heart to you, God. And so, as the blood is the life, the heart is the facilitator for the blood or life to flow. And in the same way, in, our physical, in a physical sense, if the heart is the facilitator for the, the life, the blood to flow, then this core of who we are is the facilitator for the Holy Spirit to flow through us as well. And if we get a clogged heart, the blood can't flow. Do you see the correlation here? If we get unhealthy in our physical heart, the blood can't flow and we end up having a heart attack. In our spiritual life, and our spiritual walk, in the same way, if there's something not healthy in this core of who we are, the Holy Spirit can't flow through us either. So that's why we want to look at these four different types of hearts that we see in this picture. And, and God, all throughout his word, he, he warns us and urges us to guard our hearts. Guard it as the issues of light, life flow through it. So there's a few examples we're going to look at. Let's, uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke. Hold your place here, though, in Jeremiah 17. We're going to come back. But look, let's look at Luke 6, verses 46 through 49. And I don't have it on the overhead, so if you don't turn to it, you can just listen. I'm going to read it. But here's, here's the thing, is that we can examine ourselves and determine if we are of the faith by our obedience to his word. In, in Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So see, Jesus teaches us that the very foundation of our faith is obedience to him. That will show us the condition of our hearts. So now go back to Jeremiah 17, and we're going to look at these pictures of four different hearts. <clears throat> and also, in 2 Corinthians, while you're turning back there to, to Jeremiah 17, it says, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith and prove your own selves. Don't you know that unless Jesus Christ is in you, you would be reprobates? I can speak to that personally that, yes, if Jesus Christ was not in me, I would be probably dead or in jail or something because the lifestyle that I was heading down before I was saved was not a good one. But let's, let's look at Jeremiah 17 again. And the first picture here that we see in verse 1 Jeremiah preached judgment is coming to Judah, but they didn't listen. They didn't listen to him at all. And notice the description of Judah's sins in verse 1. He, he uses the words iron. Let me scroll back up here. Come on, iPad. 
this is not a time to want to do a survey. There we go. You know, I love technology, but sometimes it can be annoying. So look, it says, really? <laughs> it says in verse 1, I apologize, my iPad's jumping around. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. And iron depicts that it is permanent. It's solid. And God's saying, the sin that I see in your life is solid. It's, it's stuck in the ground. It's not moving anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere. It's, it's like iron. Notice that word there that he used. And then he says, with a point of a diamond. Have you ever looked at a diamond to see all the little cuts and points on it? They are precise. And that's what God's saying here, that not only does he see the sin that is stuck in the ground and is not going anywhere, but he sees it down to the precise sins that uh, Judah has committed. And then he says, uh, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. Altars are, were considered something public. So not only is, does God say, he's saying that he sees it, but he's saying it's in the eyes of the public as well. Everybody sees it. We're, not, we're only deceiving ourselves, in other words. This is what he's saying to Judah. So God was fully aware of the sinful and divided hearts of the people of Judah. And he, in the same way, He's just aware because we get divided hearts. We get torn between the things of this world and we get torn between the things of God. We get divided hearts. And God, he sees it. And when he sees it, he will call us out on it just as he is here with Judah. So he is aware of our sins down to the precise thing. Now Judah had worshipped in in. Southern Baptist Church, we call it Baal, but it's actually pronounced Baal and Asherim. And that was a um, immoral, um, they, they basically were worshiping a fertility goddess. That's what Asherim was. Um, so if you could just use your imagination there, what they were worshiping. So Judah's heart had become divided based on this fertility goddess that they were worshiping and with God. So here, if you could just picture this, that they had... They had one hand on God, and they had one hand on the world. How often is that us? So often we get caught up in the ways of the world, but we want to hold on to God at the same time, and we're just like Judah here, and God sees it. And he, he wants us to be cleansed of it. So in verses 3 and 4, God gives Jeremiah the words to describe their divided heart. He says, on the mountains and the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give to the spoil. Give for spoil is the price of your high place for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. Here's, here's God. You know, our God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share us with anybody. And it's kind of an insult to him when we do hold on to the world and hold on to him and expect him to bless us, right? It's, it's kind of like the picture, if you could imagine, um, if we could go back to the Civil War. And you know the Confederate and the Union, they, they had different uniforms, right? So now just picture somebody on a battlefield wearing Confederate pants with a Union jacket. Who's going to shoot at them? 
both sides because they're not going to know who, whose side this person is on. And so here, and, and think about this, if we're walking, if our walk with Christ, if our walk with God, if we're, if we're getting attacked by, by the enemy, and then we got the, it seems like the people of God are on us at the same time, we might want to check to see if we have a divided heart, because we may be holding on, we may be wearing the pants of the Confederate, but the jacket of, you know, the Union, and, and getting shot from both sides is kind of like a sign that, hey, we've got, we may have a divided heart here. So this is, this is the picture, and there's six signs of a divided heart. If you, if you want to follow Think about these things and, and let's apply them to our life and see if we meet any of these. And if we do, then it's simple. Our God is a good God. He's not just up there pointing a, a long finger at us, just waiting to smite us because we've messed up. No, he calls our, our imperfections out so that we will confess them. And when we confess them, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of them. We serve a good and gracious God. So we don't have to be ashamed if we see something in our life. All we have to do is bring it to God and acknowledge it to him. And he's, he's the one who will take care of it. But here's six signs, things of a divided heart. And I spend the most time on this one because this is the one that we mostly get caught up in in our lives. So the first sign of a divided heart is emotional instability. If our heart's undivided attention is focused on God alone, we will have peace emotionally. We won't be on an emotional roller coaster. Psalm 119, I'm going to use examples from Psalm 119 in all of these. But Psalm 119 verse 2 said, Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. You see, the, the, it's all their heart. It's not half heart seeking God and half heart seeking world. It's if we seek God with all of our heart, then we will be blessed emotionally. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. The second thing is a wandering heart. God's word clearly outlines and defines our path. When we stray, when we wander off of that path, it's because we're trusting in our own selves and not trusting in God's word trusting in his voice for our life we're trusting in our own selves so if we find ourselves wandering off the path that you know, and, and it happens we do it all the time sometimes daily do we listen to ourselves and not listen to god because why we're stubborn <laughs> we're just like judah we're just like israel we get stubborn no god i'm gonna do it this way and then we find ourselves stuck in a briar patch somewhere and we're going god what happened and he goes you didn't listen to me <laughs> You tried it your way. So we see um, in Psalm 119, verse 10, it says, Do not let me stray from your commands. And that's part of it. If, if we're seeking him with our whole heart, he will guide us and keep us. Uh, third thing to uh, identify a divided heart within us is if we find ourselves being selfish. This one's easy because we, our fallen nature by nature is selfish. So this is why it's so easy to slip into a divided heart because we get selfish. And a divided heart will always put itself first over others and especially before God. In Psalm 119 verse 36 says, turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. So what, 
when, we ha- when we're seeking God with our whole heart, he will, when we, when we get that selfish notion inside of us, if, we, if we're fully focused on God and not trying to grab onto the world and God, he will, the Holy Spirit will bring that red flag up and say, mm-mm. And you, I don't know if any of you have ever had that, but when the Holy Spirit convicts me, sometimes I get so uneasy that it's like I get this nervous feeling, like this butterfly feeling in my belly that I have no peace until I say, okay, God. <laughs> okay, he's trying to get my attention. Um, and, and that, to me, is a comfort. I don't know about you, but to me, that's a comfort because I know that he loves me and he cares enough to say no. Just like any parent, you don't just say yes to everything, you say no to things. Um, another sign of a divided heart is inconsistency in your walk with God. A divided heart will have an inconsistent, hit or miss walk. In Psalm 119, verse 56 says, This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. That doesn't mean we're not going to mess up. But what it means is, is that willful rebellion against God will be rare, and it will not be the norm. Any child is going to rebel against their parents. That's just to be expected because of the fallen nature. And we, in our flesh, we sometimes rebel against God. But if somebody's walk is rebellion, okay, I'm, I'm good. Rebellion, okay, I'm good. Rebellion, I'm okay. See, that's, that's wishy-washy. There, there's something wrong with the heart. Remember the core of who we are, the decisions. That, there, that, that shows that there's a division in the heart. And the Bible says that uh, a double-minded person is un- unstable in all their ways. We're going to see that in James in a little bit. Um, the fifth thing is malnourishment. Psalm 119, verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The more of his word that we consume, the more nourished we will be. If we're starving spiritually, if we're malnourished, then all of the the things before this are going to happen. We're going to wander off, our walk's going to be inconsistent, and we're going to be emotionally unstable because we're not feeding our spirit. And here's something that I learned as an early Christian that I'll share with you. I hope it helps you. The one you feed the most will be the strong man. If you feed your spirit, guess who's going to be strong? Your spirit. If you feed your flesh, guess what's going to be strong? Your flesh. Another sign of a divided heart is fearfulness. Psalm 119 verses 45 through 47 says, I will speak of your statutes before kings. And I will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. And when your hearts are undivided and fully focused on God, we are not ashamed of the gospel, as it says in Romans 1.16, for it is the power unto salvation. And we will boldly proclaim it. We will not be afraid. We will not be fearful. The second type of heart is a departed heart. Well, actually, let me go back because I didn't read the Matthew 6.24. It says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and, and it says mammon in the King James. I like that one better. But that mammon can represent anything, the world, anything in your life. You can't serve God and put something else equally with God. You're going to love one more than the other. And it, as it says in James 1.8, I said earlier, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
So the first picture that we see there is a divided heart. The second one is a departed heart. Now, a departed heart, what's the difference between a divided heart and a departed heart? Well, the departed heart has both hands on the world. The man with a departed heart has misplaced confidence completely. And I see this a lot today uh, with people who say, I stopped going to church because this happened at church. And the reason why they say that is because they put their trust in man and not in God. And they were listening and following man and not following God. And so they've completely departed. Their heart has departed, and now they're just holding on to the world. And some today suggest that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, that you can just believe there's, you know, relativism is, is becoming big. Well, what's your truth? This is true for you. That's, that's the farthest thing from the truth. It does matter what you believe. And I would go as far as to say this, that it actually doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is if what you believe is true. And a lot of people don't take the time to find truth, to find out if what they believe is true. Um, and I have a perfect example of this is everybody here has Facebook, right? Or some type of social media. Maybe not everybody, but most people who do know that people share things all the time on there. And a lot of times the things that are shared is not true. <laughs> you know, for example... I had a, a pastor friend of mine share with me the other day a prayer request, a prayer request for uh, a man whose young boy um, was, who shot himself by accident, and it was a prayer request, and I just thought to myself, I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to share it, and then 30 seconds later, I had a friend of mine text me and say, it was actually Richard who used to go here, he said, hey, this happened last year, the boy survived, and he's doing good now, so... You know, as I was praying, I said, you know, I told Richard, I said, this is this was my prayer. I said, God, I don't know if this is true, but I pray for this boy that he'll be okay. And and uh, but but that's the thing is that a lot of times we just get lazy and we don't research what is true. And that's the same with people across the board. People just don't research. Don't, people just don't want to find out what's true. So they depart. They take man at man's word and they depart. It actually matters who you trust. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is truth. If you think about that, I mean, we, we've all heard the saying, Jesus, by saying this, was either Lord, lunatic, or liar. No one else has made this claim throughout all of history that no one can come to God except through them. No other person, no other religion has this statement. This is absolute exclusivity right here through Jesus Christ's salvation. But people don't believe that. People believe that there's many ways to God today. Why is that? It's because they've misplaced their trust and they've completely departed from the faith. They're holding on to the world. And then in Acts 14, 12, it says... And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ, obviously. So while the world teaches tolerance, the word of God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the question is, 
Are we trusting in man or tradition? Are we trusting in dead orthodoxy? Are we trusting in even works like baptism or membership to a church or works or, well, my parents were saved or grandparents or my family members a preacher? See, we can misplace our trust as well. We can put our trust and depart from God by putting our trust in our own selves and our own works. And it's not by our works whatsoever. It's by what the work that Jesus did on the cross that saves us and his work alone. So we trust in the Lord and not man, nor the arm or work of any flesh. And we see in verse 5 and 6 here that the... and, and it even says, thus saith the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes it his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. You see that there in, in Jeremiah 17, verse 5? He says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. When we trust in the word of others without researching truth, when we trust in our own works, when we trust in ourselves rather than God, we ha our hearts have departed from God. And we cannot think at any time that we are any greater than the people of Judah at the time that this was written in Jeremiah, because we're just like them. And I've said this before, if you actually take Jeremiah and do an overlay of today's time, the parallels are just, you'll be like, wow, if you do that. So I, I, would, I would challenge you to do that. The third picture that we see here in this text is a devoted heart. This is the one that I hope we all get and have. The word heart is not mentioned in verses 7 and 8, but 7 and 8 clearly stand in direct contrast with the departed heart of verses 5 and 6. In verse 7 and 8, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the picture of a heart that is devoted to God. And look at this picture here. What does drought represent in our lives? Drought could represent temptation. Drought could represent Hardship, drought could represent a, just a blunt attack by the enemy in our lives. It could represent anything that is opposed to our walk with Christ. When that wind of opposition comes, if we are rooted, if we are devoted, it doesn't affect us. Because our strength comes from the Lord and not ourselves and not what a man has said. And that's a beautiful picture there. That's a beautiful picture. The devoted heart belongs to that man whose hope is in the Lord, and he's like the tree planted by the waters of life. It's a never-ending supply of living water that if we have our roots dug down in, if we're devoted to the Lord, we will bear fruit. And hard, other people will be going through hard times and circumstances in our life it may be like a hurricane it may be like job and we will say blessed be the name of the lord because we will have peace inside because our peace our joy is not coming by circumstance it's not coming by things happening around us it's not by a 
fat bank account. It's not by we just fed 100 homeless people. It's not our works. It's by God. It's by God alone. That's, a, that's the picture of a devoted heart. And a devoted heart is one that is committed. And let me just explain here what's the difference between someone who is committed and who has made a decision. There is a difference. And a lot of times we get it confused. But the definition of commitment is <clears throat> an act of committing to a charge or trust, an agreement to pledge to do something, the state or instance of being obligated or impelled. And if you're not sure what impelled means, it means something driven from the inside out, not just on an outward appearance. When someone commits to something, they are putting something else in charge, that commitment. They're committed to do what they've committed to do regardless of what they feel. They're impelled or driven from the inside to take action based on that commitment. Now, the definition of a decision is a determination arrived at after consideration and forming a conclusion, the act of deciding. Don't, don't miss this. Decision is only the first step. Decision is only the first step. There's no power in a decision without commitment. When people say, I made a decision for Christ. That's great, but you're not there yet. Unless you've committed your life, unless you are devoted to Christ, there's no power in that decision until you've made a commitment. How many times have I invited people to come to church, invited people, they say, well, I'll think about it. They haven't made a commitment, you see. There's no, there's no power in it until you commit to come. There's no power there. It's just a, yeah, maybe I'll see it in our walk there's a difference between those who are deciding to follow Christ and there's a difference between those who have committed to follow Christ and we see here in Jeremiah we see a picture of the people who they had a head knowledge of Christ, of God through the prophets through the law and prophets but they hadn't committed to following him Charles Spurgeon, here's a quote by him. He said, you never hear Jesus say in Pilate's judgment, Hall, one word that would let you imagine that he was sorry that he had undertaken so costly a sacrifice for us. When his hands were pierced, when he is parched with fever, his tongue dried up like a shard of pottery, when his whole body is dissolved into the dust of death, you never hear a groan or a shriek that looks like Jesus is going back on his commitment. Wow. Think about Christ's commitment to us, to save us. When, as the Bible says, we were yet enemies of God, and he still committed himself to the cross. Despite, despite us, despite our sin, he Never once groaned about his commitment. It was such a, a, a terrible... We see the picture where he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating blood because he knows what he's about to go through, but he goes through it. Wow. That's, that's amazing. If we put that into perspective, how, how much easier does our commitment to God come? Look at Psalm 
1, 1 through 3, I've got it on the thing. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law or the word of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. Devoted heart. That's the picture that we want in our life. The fourth one is a deceitful heart. Everybody knows the, the verse 9 that, uh, that says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The heart is desperately wicked apart from Christ. Not filled with Christ. Not filled with the word of God. Our heart is wicked. It devises all kind of evil schemes and things that are so subtle that we don't even realize we're being deceived. That's how deceitful the heart can be at times. And some claim to be devoted and, and some claim that, but in reality they're deceived by their own heart. In 1 John 1, 8, the Bible says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We see that picture of a deceived heart. In James 1.22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. You see, the heart will deceive us. Our heart, you know, people say, follow your heart. No, no, <laughs> don't follow your heart. But I will say this, the Bible says that if the heart condemns you, how much greater is God? Yes, God will use our heart to convict us. He'll use our conscience and our heart together. But in, in that case, yes, follow your heart. But it, when it comes to, oh, I've got this feeling in my heart. No, 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 no. Don't follow that. Follow God's word, prayer. Follow what he says. And then Proverbs 14, 12. This is like my go-to verse here because this is so true. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man. But the end is the ways of death. See, our heart can say, oh, that feels good. Yeah, that feels right, so I'm going to go that way. See, it can seem right to us. Our heart will deceive us. But if it doesn't align with the word of God, guess what? It's not the right way. And we, we go to the word because Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that's why we trust God's word. To show us our heart. Because our heart will deceive us. There's many people who say, you don't know my heart. Well, yeah, I don't know your heart, but God does. He knows our hearts better than we know it ourselves. And God says in verse 10, he says uh, that he judges and everyone, he will render to everyone accordingly. And if you look in every dispensation uh, throughout the Bible, we see that salvation is based on God's goodness, his grace. But we see at the same time, don't miss this, that judgment is based upon our actions. Right? Hebrews 9.27 says, As appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And then Romans 14.12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. If we're not under the blood of Christ, then which judgment was placed on Christ in our place, if we're not under that blood, then yes, God's going to judge based on our works. 
That's why it's important to have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your heart personally so that that judgment was taken for you. That, that's what we deserve. So think about, think about that. Where's our heart? And then here's, here's a, another one. This is actually a fifth heart. This picture is not in Jeremiah, but this picture of a new heart is what God wants to give those who have a deceitful heart, a departed heart, and a divided heart. And this picture is a new heart. And it comes from Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and, I, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols will I cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And that, what that means is, let me just stop there for a minute because some people don't understand that. A heart of stone is a hardened heart towards God. Our heart becomes seared by sin. Our consciousness becomes seared. It becomes hard because as we rebel and we turn away and we become that departed heart, it gets hard towards God. But he says he'll take that heart, that hardened heart from us, and he'll give us a heart of flesh, which means it's tender and sensitive towards him. And so he will take that heart and give us a heart of flesh. He'll give us a new heart. So that we'll be, we'll be sensitive to his voice. We'll be sensitive to his word. We'll be, we'll, it will prick us when we do something wrong. And he says, and I will put my spirit in you. Not only will I give you a new heart, but I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect again. But this is the gospel message right here, that God wants to give us a new heart. That we were the ones who had a divided heart. We were the ones who had a departed heart. We're the ones who have deceitful hearts. But here God wants to give us this new heart. And let's look at this prayer from King David. Psalm 51. This is the psalm that I tell people when they want to get a new heart from God. This is the invitation to anyone here today who may find that they have one of those hearts that's not right with God. This is, this is where I tell you to go, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the picture of David when he was caught in his sin, tried to cover up sin with Bathsheba. He had her husband sent to the front lines of the war so that he could be killed, so he could cover up the sin, but yet God called him out by the prophet and this is his prayer. This is the latter part. If you, you read whole, the whole Psalm 51, and you see where David poured out his heart to God, and he said, I have sinned against you and you alone, and he's just pouring out his heart. And we're going to pick up here in verse 10, where King David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. David here realizes even that the sacrifice of bull and goats is not good enough for his sin. And God, he understands, 
he says he doesn't take pleasure in those sacrifices. That's not what pleases God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That's the sacrifice right there. That's what God wants to see in our hearts. He's not pleased with burnt offerings, but what, what God wants is for us to come to him with a broken spirit. When we see one of those pictures of the, the, the divided heart, departed heart, deceived heart, the flag is raised within your conscience right now that you have one of those hearts, then I would just invite you to pray to God. Go to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. That's the goodness of God. That's the mercy of God. That's the gospel message of God that, yes, we were filthy sinners, but through the blood of Christ, through the cross, through the sacrifice that he made, through the commitment that he went through and endured for us in our place, that we can, be, we can have that devoted, new, clean heart. So that is my prayer for you today. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, we just thank you so much, God, for your goodness. God, we thank you, God, that you saw fit, Lord, even when, Lord, we had divided hearts, even when we still do. Lord, when we have departed hearts, when we cling on to our own thoughts and our own ideas and don't listen to you. Lord, and when we look at your word and we're not doers and we're hearers only and we deceive ourselves, Lord. Lord, we look to your word to, to show us, Lord. Lord, we can't say before you that we're without sin because then, again, we're deceiving ourselves. So, Lord, we, we trust God in your mercy. We need your mercy. Lord, we need your grace, Lord, and we just come to you humbly, Lord, and we say, Lord, that we, we're guilty of all of those things, Lord. Lord, if, if there's something that we need to confess, Lord, I just pray that we would all do it right now, Lord. That, Lord, you would create in us a clean heart and you would renew a right spirit within us, just as David prayed. Lord, let us declare your goodness, Lord, to this earth, to all the people of this earth, Lord. Let them see your goodness, Lord. Let them come to you, Lord God, and be cleansed also, Lord. Receive clean hearts. Let them see, Lord God, the commitment that you made, Lord, to that cross for them, for us, in our place. When we didn't even deserve it. When we were still your enemies, Lord. Oh God, thank you so much. Thank you, God, for that goodness and that mercy. Lord, there's nothing, there is nothing that can compare. God, we just give ourselves to you today. Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, that needs prayer, I pray that they would just come up, Lord, and not be ashamed, Lord, that you are here with open arms, that you are willing to forgive and cleanse, Lord God, anyone, no matter what they've done, no matter where they're at, Lord, your mercy and your grace is greater. 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.